homelessness, lawlessness, and liberalism gone wild, the often hidden but deadly dangers of vacationing in Mexico, and a family dairy farmer sounding the alarm on America's food crisis and calling out Joe Biden. That's all next because the show starts right now. What do you get when you mix an addiction epidemic with a mental health crisis with rampant homelessness, lawlessness, and Democrat politicians who aid and abet it all? You get California. And I know this because I lived in it for three years and three years too many. I fled California for the great state of Tennessee, but a year ago with my Fox Nation team in tow, I ventured back to see the worsening crisis for myself once again. Pop quiz. What does a $1.2 billion bond for homeless housing get you in the city of Los Angeles, California? Answer, not a whole freaking lot. Take a look. Welcome to Venice Beach, California, or as I call it, Hotel California, and you will soon see why. It's almost a culture of enabling this, encouraging this. Not kind of, it is enabling. They're inviting people to come from all over the country to be homeless here and making it much easier to survive in a comfortable manner on the street. The politicians have the hands in the homeless people's pockets, taking their millions and billions of dollars and using it to help them and not the homeless. They built the metro from downtown LA to Santa Monica, connecting downtown to the beach. It also connected Skid Row to our communities. We've had so many elderly attacks. We've had dog nappings. We've had attempted kidnappings um, because the felons are out on our streets. Who wants to take their kids to Skid Row? Yep, that's Los Angeles, California, but it's no longer the city of angels. It's the city of crime, homelessness, and taxes. Hell, San Francisco is maybe even a little worse than L.A., which is saying a lot. Here's what school children have to walk through after school getting off their buses. Go get home safe. My little, my little partner's out here. Get home safe, all right? I'm sorry y'all got to be going to see all this Get home safe. Come on, man. These little kids gotta walk through this. This is crazy. That is unacceptable. California is the fifth largest economy in the world, has a budget surplus of $100 billion, is home to Hollywood, Silicon Valley, top-notch academic institutions, beautiful beaches, mountains, and an abundance of natural resources, yet it looks like that. What's the excuse, Gavin? Garcetti, London Breed, Nancy, Maxine? And don't even get me started with the crime. A culture of lawlessness is sweeping the nation, but California has been the poster child for bad criminal justice policy for years. Felon coddling policies like crime reclassification and shortened sentencing have created the perfect storm for danger. And that was before many cities caved to the BLM defund the police movement. Take those policies and mix in a mentally ill and ballooning homeless population, and you get crap like this. That's volleyball player and Olympic medalist Kim Glass. She was brutally attacked by a homeless man wielding a metal pipe. Her injuries are so bad, she nearly lost her eye. That's not a freak occurrence in California's major cities. That's the new normal. Yet their Democrat politicians have spent the last two years chasing down unmasked civilians and demanding to see vax cards, all while continuing to write and codify policies that enable and excuse actual felons, thugs, addicts, and criminals. 
Parts of California look like a freaking third world country, and that filth and excused and mainstream way of life won't stay in California so long as soft on crime Democrats are being elected into office nationwide. November is coming. Choose wisely. But speaking of dangerous cities and dangerous countries, the U.S. State Department has finally issued a new travel advisory for popular destinations in Mexico, and for good reason. My next guest is sadly an expert on the dangers of these supposedly safe resort towns. His son was fatally stabbed there in 2019. Chris Meyer joins me next. November 2018, Taylor Meyer, a happy-go-lucky 27-year-old American, was on vacation in the popular resort town of Playa del Carmen, Mexico. He was there with 13 people celebrating his friend's 30th birthday. On November 9th, he was stabbed, robbed, and brutally murdered. And he's not the only one who met a similar fate south of our border. I bet you didn't know that according to State Department data and the National Travel and Tourism Office, more Americans are killed in Mexico each year than any other country in the world. Despite the tourism industry wanting to keep a lid on this grim reality, the Department of State's travel advisory for Baja California has finally been raised to a level three. Prior to this new warning, many regions in Mexico, including where Taylor Meyer was murdered, were categorized at only a level two travel advisory on our State Department's website. Guess where else also carries a level two advisory ranking? Freaking Antarctica. Joining me now with his warning to American travelers planning their next Mexican beach resort getaway is the father of slain Taylor Meyer, Chris Meyer. Chris, thank you so much for being with me. It's great to talk to you again, my friend. Thank you very much. So I obviously know Taylor's story very well, and I know it's an incredible, painful one to tell, but so my viewers can understand what happened to your son. Let's recount what happened in November a couple of years ago. Well, actually, it'd be three and a half years ago now. Um, he uh, traveled with a group of 13 friends, uh, eight girls and five guys. Uh, they went down to a Playa del Carmen, Mexico, to celebrate uh, one of his friends' 30th birthdays. Uh, I believe they arrived there on the uh, 7th of November, and on the that day they went out to the beach and had a good time. Uh, that not, then the next day uh, they went out to uh, a club, and uh, they were there at the club and uh, dancing and so forth. Not all of them went, but most of them went. Um, my son was dancing with a girl. The other uh, people decided they wanted to cross the street, go to another club. My son said, well, I'd, I'd like to finish dancing with this girl, and then I'll be over to join you. About 20 minutes later, he texted them and said, hey, this girl's not interested in me. I'm on my way. Well, he never showed up. Um, we got the call uh, on uh, the 9th of, of November. Um, actually, my wife got the initial call. I had gotten home early, and I hear this scream, and it's the uh, U.S. consulate in Merida uh, calling to advise us that our son had been murdered. And uh, it was horrific. Uh, losing a child is the worst thing uh, that, that a parent can go through. And uh, I have two brothers that both lost their sons, um, one in the military, one in a car accident. So. Anyway, that's uh, we tell uh, a pretty good uh, a story about him on uh, uh, Fox Nation under your show, Tommy, um, and uh, got into some detail there and, and uh, with his roommates and that. Taylor was a great kid. I, I call him a kid. He'd be 31 today, um, but he's still a kid in my in my mind. 
Um, he was our youngest of three children. Well, Chris, I know the pain that your family went through because I've sat with you. I've sat with your wife, with your other son and, and your daughter, and I've seen how difficult this has been for you. But I also have to say I'm incredibly proud to have been part of the story, at least shedding light on this story, because it's so important that people understand. Now, to talk about Taylor's story, which you've done an excellent job of doing, you know, oftentimes, even after hearing Taylor's story, I still hear a lot of people say that if you just go to the resort towns in Mexico, if you just stay where the resorts are and you go to some place like Playa del Carmen or you go to Cancun or you go to Cabo San Lucas, it's all glitz and glamour and it's safe because it's a resort town. And I know that you've been sounding the alarm on this. Taylor Meyer was also in a resort town and he was walking from bar to bar in a crowded area and he was stabbed and murdered. And the only way that they identified him was through a receipt in his pants pocket. They took yes. everything from him. Yes. Um, there are uh, about approximately 100,000 missing people in Mexico. And uh, according to research, and that was in the New York Times. Um, and I believe uh, there were uh, uh, 14,207 14, missing people just in 2021 alone, including uh, uh, 324 Americans uh, since 2006. If Taylor wouldn't have had that receipt in his pocket, I believe he would have been one of the missing people. Um, the murder rate in Mexico right now uh, number of homicides in 2021 was 43,964, and that's according to Statista.com. Uh, that averages uh, over five per hour. Uh, there's no other country that I'm aware of that has that kind of a murder rate. Um, one of the things about Americans visiting Mexico is the, the, uh, the people that die in Mexico from all sources uh, the most popular way to die there is by being murdered. I shouldn't say popular, but the most common. Uh, Two-thirds of all Americans that are murdered overseas are murdered in Mexico. That means that Mexico has twice as many uh, Americans murdered there than all of the other countries on the entire planet combined, uh, which is amazing. Well, Chris, it's amazing and it's sad and it's something that needs to be discussed. Now, I mentioned in my opening that they are changing certain areas to a different advisory. We'll get to that in a moment. But I, a lot of times when they talk about the danger of Mexico, they talk about getting caught up in, in cartel violence, which, of course, is a serious problem there. But what happened to Taylor, what happened to so many other tourists, whether it's tainted alcohol, whether it's kidnappings, murders, being brutally stabbed like your son, which all evidence points to they just wanted what he had on him. They were mugging him. They were robbing him. They just chose to stab him along the way. This isn't being caught up in cartel violence in a bad area when you're in the middle of a drug war. This is just a lawless country that does not have the same standard as the United States of America. And I'd like you to tell my audience as well, when you do experience a tragedy like your family experienced, the United States can only do so much for you. What happened yes. after Taylor died and what did your family go through to, to make sure that you got his body and to make sure that this was investigated to the fullest extent? Well, that was horrific. Um, the uh, We had to have a memorial service for him uh, without a body because we were still trying to get his body out of Mexico. Uh, the coroner's office, I worked with the coroner, who was actually a, a pretty good guy, but you have to have your uh, body embalmed before they can ship it. 
And uh, so we worked with the coroner out of Playa del Carmen. Um, but then there was a hiccup in that the uh, police evidently wanted to hold up the body for some reason. Um, it, it was, uh, you know, obviously it's a very emotional time anyway. Um, but we had to have, we had a, a church service with him uh, with over 800 people attending, uh, not counting 1,500 people that watched it online. But to not have a body there and to not have her son home was emotional. And if I remember correctly from our interview, which has now been, you know, a few years back, you also had some struggles dealing with the Mexican government and, and speaking to them. If I remember correctly, they wanted you to physically go down to Mexico yeah. and you and your wife said that's not going to happen. Yeah, we did not feel safe. Um, we were contacted by the Mexican government to come down and talk to them. Well, I was already speaking out about the dangers of Mexico then. Um, I did not want in any way to go down there. I don't feel safe. I'll never go to Mexico again. Um, the, what we read was the police chief that was in charge of researching Taylor's murder was himself the prime suspect in the murder of two journalists uh, writing about his ties to the cartel down there. So you can't trust the police. You can't trust anyone down there. It's uh, only one point uh, one. Only 1.14% of their crime is ever solved in Mexico. There's no consequences. Um, kind of similar what's going on in Los Angeles area. <laughs> Not to that extent, but, uh, you know, uh, I don't want this country turning into what that country has become. And what is your warning to those, especially those young people? Because like I said, a lot of my friends, same thing. They want to go to Mexico. If you live in California, it's very close. And they say, listen, we're just going to stay in a resort. Everything is going to be fine. We have nothing to worry about. What's your message to them? It's not safe. I've talked to three families um, whose children went to all-inclusive resorts. Uh, one was pushed off a balcony. One was murdered. Uh, with with uh, uh, fentanyl, um, and another one was beaten to death. Uh, he was the uh, I talked to the uh, uh, victim's father-in-law. I, I, I tried to talk to his wife, but I couldn't talk to her. Um, and we've both been working with the State Department trying to get changes made to uh, uh, the warnings to Americans down in Mexico. Um, but the all-inclusive resorts is no that's that's not a reason you're safe um you'll see ads on facebook 599 dollars all-inclusive resort for a week for two people um i've seen airplane rides from lax to cancun uh not recently but 34 dollars um those rates are being subsidized by the government uh, eight and a half percent of Mexico's GDP is tourism, and they will do anything to protect that. They hide the news. The people that are writing about the news down there um, are being murdered. There have been 11 journalists murdered in Mexico already this year, and it's the most dangerous or country on the planet for a journalist outside of a war zone.
Well, I'm glad that you brought that up, too, because the tour tourism industry does have a vested interest in keeping a lot of this quiet. And it's not just Mexico. It's the Dominican Republic and other areas like that as well. They rely on tourism and a lot of American companies that have resorts in these other countries. They also want to keep it quiet. So the fact that now the State Department is raising it to a level three in certain areas, Baja, California, Tijuana, Rosarito, it's something, but it's not enough. And I can't imagine going through a tragedy like your family went through. But if there's one thing that we can do, it's to sound the alarm. I've been doing it since I heard your family's story, telling people, listen, there's a lot of wonderful places elsewhere in the world, a lot of wonderful places right here in the United States of America. Maybe go to Florida, maybe go to Hawaii, because if something happens to you in those places, the United States government can actually help you out. When you go to Mexico, that's not the case. So in closing, we want to close with remembering your son. He is a patriotic, was a patriotic American. He loved his country, and that's how we want to remember him. Any closing thoughts about Taylor you want my audience to know? No, he was a great kid. Um, tried not to get emotional here, but three and a half years, it's still tough. I can't imagine how difficult it is for you, Chris. No, it is very difficult. And I just don't want any other Americans to suffer the same fate. I'm doing my best through Facebook and Twitter to when there are articles about Americans being killed down there, the violence, to get it out because I feel like I'm fighting against uh, the tourism uh, uh, industry on both sides of the border, the people that profit on both ways by sending people down there. And uh, I just don't want anyone else to be uh, suffer the same fate as my son did. He was a good kid. Like you said, he's a patriotic kid. He was an athletic kid. Um, one of the things that uh, Mexico did, and the, the uh, uh, consulate warned me uh, when we first got the news that the, that they were saying that that Taylor was Canadian, that he was that he was traveling with an LGBT group, and someone within his group killed him, which was a, all, always a complete lie. And they lie about it because they want it to make it look like it's self-induced, and it's not. Um, Americans are at risk down there. And you're shining a light on it, and we're going to do everything we can to amplify that voice. It's not enough just to say it's because of cartel or because of COVID. It's dangerous, and their yes. government and our government need to take ownership of that. Again, I'm so sorry for your loss, but I thank, thank you, you so much for sharing the story, and I think it's going to help a lot of people and make a lot of people think twice before they go to Mexico. So God bless you, and please say hello to your family for me as well. I sure will, Tommy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. All right, still ahead, the price of food is going up and our farmers and ranchers aren't seeing that in their pocketbooks or their bank accounts. Dairy farmer and family agricultural advocate Stephanie Nash joins me next. If you've been to the grocery store lately, it's no secret food prices are up and up a lot. In fact, the cost of food at home is up almost 12% from last year, the biggest jump since 1979. Ground beef is up 36%, eggs 32%, poultry up nearly 17%, and dairy is up almost 16% year to year. Let's go, Brandon. But if you think our American farmers and ranchers are cashing in on these prices, well, think again. Not only are they being undercut by foreign products shipped here on the cheap and marketed as product of USA, our farmers and ranchers are also battling high fuel prices, high equipment costs, a broken supply chain, a labor shortage, and once again, I say, let's go, Brandon. 
Now, you might not care much about the fate of our American producers, but I can guarantee you care about putting quality food on your family table without paying an arm and a leg for it. And for that, you need our American ranchers and farmers. So joining me now is a fourth-generation dairy farmer and agriculture advocate, Stephanie Nash. Stephanie, I know you're so passionate about this. You come from a dairy family. I come from a ranching family. And I'm so happy that you've been sounding the alarm. But I think the biggest misconception, and I alluded to it in my opening, is that these prices going up means that our ranchers and farmers are getting rich. Prices are going up. They're pocketing a lot of money. That's not the case. No, I think the biggest reaction that I usually get is, oh, farmers and ranchers, you just get the subsidies and the grants and all this money. That's not really how it works. You know, we have to grow the food. We have to, again, pay for supplies. We have to go through the supply chain shortage. We have to wait on things. If the tractor breaks down, it's not a miracle. We have to pay for that, too. And people don't understand we don't choose our price. You know, out of all of the industries, when you sell something, when you make it, you get to choose the price. That is not the same for family farmers and ranchers. And so it's really hurting not only the agriculture industry, but the American people. So who is setting this price for those that are, aren't aware of how this all works? Yeah, so when you are in agriculture, you have, you know, higher up companies that tell you what you're going to make. When it comes to dairy farming, which we are as a family, we get to set a price every month from our supplier. And so whenever we ship that milk, it's either, you know, $16 a hundredweight, it could be $24 a hundredweight one month. And we have to offset the difference. You know, we have to be able to rely on Americans to buy our products and, you know, just educate the public of what they're actually putting in their bodies. Well, it's important because at least when it comes to ranchers and a lot of farmers as well, there's a lot of foreign products coming over here and people think that those are the same thing, not the same thing. They're marketed as if they're the same thing, but they're certainly not. So our farmers and ranchers are already being undercut there. But going back to the state of the economy, being undercut by foreign markets is nothing new. Our, our farmers and ranchers have been dealing with that for many, many years and fighting against it. But right now we're in a situation in an economy where, as you said, your tractor goes down. Oh, you got to pay for that. Oh, the price of fuel. Guess what? You're paying for that, too. Every little thing that the average American is already suffering to pay for, our farmers and ranchers are feeling that twice as much because they need to pay for those things just to get their product on the shelves and out the door. So what is it like and what has it been like in the last couple of years with this economy, this Brandon economy, we'll call it, for our producers? I think the biggest thing, again, going back, is education. People are starting to really follow this social media lifestyle trend of, you know, either whether it's being vegan or vegetarian or you're thinking that oat and almond milk is healthier for you or the new thing is beyond meat, which shouldn't even be called meat. It's chemically grown, lab grown, you know, stuff that we're putting into our bodies. Um, but I think, you know, again, education, like people don't even realize the amount of work and blood and sweat that family farmers and ranchers do for the American people. They just go to the grocery store because it's convenient, because it's there, and they bring it home, they cook it and put it on their dinner table, but it starts from somewhere. And so through this economy and through the prices that have been changing, it is very detrimental to our farmers. We see for sell signs all over our country. And it's not American you know, family farmers buying that land. It's foreign countries coming in and buying up American soil. Oh, it absolutely is. And I'm glad that you brought that up, too. And I'm glad that you brought up the rise in this chemically processed beyond this beyond that i mean listen i got friends that are vegan and, and nothing against them if they want to eat that stuff that's fine but there has been a mainstreamed and a popularized narrative 
that dairy is bad for you, that ground beef is bad for you, that red meat, red meat in general is bad for you, and then switching to some other source or some other processed thing is going to be better for you. And the media, and of course the left, has had a big stake in making that their message. I mean, they're even trying to go after farmers and ranchers for their methane emissions of the toots and the, the farts and the burps of animals. I mean, this is how far they're going, and it sounds like a joke, but it's realistic. AOC, the rest of them, they believe that your, your cows, my family's cows, they're the problem. They're contributing to global warming. What do you say to people like that? I mean, I just talked about it and I talk about it on my platforms. Climate change is the biggest scam of our country. You know, the Biden administration decided they want to spend $44.9 billion on energy infrastructure and climate change and making a difference. And they're really just running money through Washington, D.C. If you want to be honest with your food supply, what is killing off our food security here in the United States is education, people sitting at home believing that this vegan lifestyle and going against agriculture is our future. It's not. The family farmer and rancher produce our food. They produce a wholesome product. And if you think any differently, then don't read the New York Times because they're not going to tell you any truth of what is happening on my farm and surely not any other farm across the United States. Glad you also brought that up because my family, uh, family, American cattlemen, ranchers, my uncle, we st he still has the ranch. He takes care of that cattle like it's his children and he cares about those animals. Obviously, we know what happens at the end of the day, but a lot of Americans see the horror, the horrors of chickens being shoved in cages and feedlots with cows up to their knees in filth. And it's horrifying. But the average family farmer and rancher, that's not how they treat their animals. Shed some light on that for my viewers who are unaware. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of videos have come back to light from the 90s. They're not even in business anymore. It's not even a situation that we as agriculture are really facing with um, inhumane practices. You know, we are constantly watched. We are constantly regulated. And it's our business. It's our passion. We don't want to treat our animals with disrespect, nor when it, you know, is processed and brought to your dinner table. I think the biggest misconception is, you know, at home moms or influencers deciding that they want to be a farmer for the day and tell people about our industry. And they've never even stepped foot on a farmer or ranch. And they don't even know the reality and the struggle that we face as family farmers and actually providing a good product to Americans. So at the end of the day, I think there's just a lot of uh, miscommunication with, you know, farm to table and farm to people. And we need to do a better job of being honest with agriculture and the and, you know, people sitting at home. It is so weird to me because I see the same thing. You and I come from similar backgrounds. I see people that are usually more on the left, more on the hippie side, and they're all about farm to table. Boy, they love a good organic farm. They love whole foods. They love all those things. But then there's such a disconnect because they don't realize that a lot of those products that are really farm to table are coming from families like yours and families like mine. But then at the same time, they turn around and demonize families like yours and families like mine while they're talking about their whole foods lifestyle. And it is so infuriating and frustrating but social media has a grip on people. I know that you've been out there with your platform. I certainly have with mine. But how do we combat that? Because you're right. A lot of these influencers out there, they're sending out the wrong message and people are TikToking and Instagram reeling away and their brains are going to mush. They don't get it. Yeah, I think the biggest thing right now is everybody is label happy. They go to the store, they look for certain words or non-GMO or organic, like you said, and they buy it because they think it's clean. It's not added hormones. It's not 
added antibiotics or pesticides or whatever they want to believe. But the truth is there's nothing in your food. This world of, you know, the last 10 years, they've really gotten into people's minds of, hey, let's buy $5 more expensive cheese because it has one label on it. And you could be having another cheese right next to it, uh, you know, the same product, the same family farmer and rancher, but it just doesn't have that one word on it. And so I think moving forward, people just have to realize, you know, you don't get your expertise when you're sick from a mom sitting at home, you go to a doctor or nurse. So why aren't we doing the same with agriculture and our family farmers and ranchers? Go to them, go to you. I know you're incredibly passionate about it and I love to hear it. I could just sit here and listen, listen to you talk because people like you need to be heard. And it's something that's a passion project for you because this is your family. This is a way of life. This is a legacy. I tell people that all the time. If we don't support are American farmers and ranchers. They are already a dying breed. They're gonna become extinct and then you're gonna have to rely on all that chemically processed crap, all these meat packers getting their meat from Brazil and God knows where else. That's what we're gonna have if we run all of our American ranchers and farmers out of business. So keep sounding the alarm, maybe do your own little TikTok video, who knows, fight back against the influencers as you mentioned, but you're always welcome on my show to talk about it all the time. So God bless you and God bless your family. Thanks. All right, next, it seems like everybody, including King LeBron, are up in arms over Russia-stranded WNBA star Brittany Griner and how to get her back to the USA. But I have a different take. My final thoughts are next. WNBA star Brittany Griner has been detained in Russia since February. Last week, she pleaded guilty in a Russian court on charges of bringing vape cartridges containing oils derived from cannabis through a Moscow airport. If you're wondering, yeah, that's illegal. She faces up to 10 years in prison if convicted. Since her detainment in February, her teammates, coaches, family members, and friends have been petitioning Joe Biden to bring her home, and for good reason. Russia is awful and oppressive. Its legal system is questionable at best, and that's being kind. No one is sticking up for Russia here, trust me. Last week, Greiner even wrote a letter to Joe Biden begging him to do something, even trying to butter up old Joe by saying she cast her first vote for him in 2020. So yeah, add Greiner to the list of people who owe us Trump supporters some gas and grocery money. But anyway... Her pleas have largely fallen on deaf ears over at the house of Brandon, likely because someone hasn't programmed the teleprompter and or likely and Joe has zero poll in Russia as evidenced by that whole Ukraine invasion thing on his watch. But luckily, luckily, our favorite virtue signaling self-anointed king of basketball, LeBron James, is weighing in like the true international diplomat he is. On the latest episode of The Shop Uninterrupted, King Baby Braun questions not only whether the USA has Brittany Griner's back, but also ponders if he'd even want to come home if he were in her shoes. Well, LeBron, let me tell you what. If you're offering to finally leave the USA, the country you find so oppressive, so racist, and so outrageous, it gives you the opportunity to make a billion dollars, well, be our guest, or more accurately, don't be. There are about 200 other countries you can choose from, so go pick one. And may I suggest China? since you seem to be so comfy with its communism and ongoing record of human rights abuse. But back to Greiner. Cannabis is illegal in Russia, and whether she knew it or not, ignorance of the law isn't permission to break it. If for some reason she didn't commit the crime, that's another story, but she pled guilty to it, so there's that. And furthermore, like LeBron, I can't figure out why Brittany Greiner would be clamoring to get back to a nation she finds so unworthy of her patriotism. 
If the woman can't even drag her sorry behind out of a locker room in cushy Phoenix, Arizona, long enough to stand and salute our flag for the under two-minute duration of our national anthem, well, then maybe the USA isn't where she really wants to be. And maybe after sitting in a Russian prison for a bit, she'll understand what a privilege it is to be born in America and be grateful for the USA, the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And I hope she has that change of heart. I really do. There are plenty of unjustly imprisoned Americans around the world who actually appreciate this country. There should be at least as big of a spotlight on bringing them home. But maybe Biden should send her a flag and a cassette tape with a star-spangled banner on it to let her get to practicing her patriotism. Maybe fellow America hater Colin Kaepernick will go visit her in cell block five because I hear he has some free time on his hands. Boom, there you go. God bless America, a nation that is imperfect, but still the best nation on the face of the earth. A nation so great that even those who claim to hate her still beg to return to her. And those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.